Okay, good morning. Uh, it's really good to be with you all. Um, can we all rise as we read God's word together? Psalm 73 out of reverence. <clears throat> I'll be reading from the ESV. Psalm 73, here is verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their ends. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord Amen. Would you please be seated and would you bow your heads with me in prayer as I ask God for illumination? Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you so much for this wonderful, beautiful day to worship you. We thank you that you've gathered us here to be reminded of all your good promises and truths for us. Father, as we turn to your word now, we ask and pray that you would soften and mold even the hardest of hearts um, here this morning. Father, you are a gracious and compassionate God, and we know that you are here because you want to speak to someone here. You want to speak to us as a church, and so, Father, sh uh, shape and fashion us by this psalm for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I know that most of you probably don't know who I am, but um, I just want to let you know that I have actually, uh, from a far-off standpoint, I've observed and I've heard and I've listened to so many good things about your church. I'm not trying to be nice. I'm, I'm for real. Um, and personally, I've also been just blessed. Um, I've received a lot of uh, encouragement and friendship from many of you here as well. So, I just want to let you know... Um, Thank you. Your church is really a gospel testament, not just to me, but to, to the community around you. I know from my church folks too, you guys probably know them, some of you, they all love you guys as well. So I just want to encourage you, keep pressing on, 
keep encouraging others. Keep going out of your way to love people who are hard to love. Um, you just never know who you're going to really help when they need help. So thank you so much. So uh, just to begin our time together in this psalm, um, uh, I know that all of us walked through those doors down there this morning into this room, but I also know that um, there are some of you here this morning who actually crawled into the sanctuary this morning. And the reason I say that is because when Christians like you and I go through suffering and um, hard experiences, sometimes it's hard to come to church. If you're anything like me, I know what it feels like to go through something really difficult, wake up on Sunday and think, man, I don't want to go to church today. Um, What difference is that going to make in my circumstances? Is anything going to change? I just want to let you know, um, if that is um, you, this psalm is for you. God is going to speak to you through the psalm. And so just over the next few minutes, I just want to walk through it with you, kind of like walking down a sidewalk and observe the different things that this psalm has to offer us and what God is saying to us as his people who are suffering. So let me just begin uh, in verses one through three. Um, So if if you look at the top of the psalm, you'll notice that it says the author. It says there at the very top, a psalm of Asaph. Now, who is Asaph and why why do we have to know that? Because God put that there for a reason. Here's why. If you go into uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 6, you go all the way back there, what you'll actually find is that we're told that Asaph was a very talented guy. He was one of the worship leaders for Israel. And the text actually tells us there, he had a knack for, uh, for playing instruments. And also he had a knack for singing. He was a great singer great musician. He was also a songwriter as well. And if you go to there as well, King David actually handpicks Asaph, this guy, to be one of the worship leaders. There were many back then, but one of them to lead worship for Israel. So this guy's a public figure. He's very, very talented. I think if he were alive today, you and I would be able to catch him on tour uh, at one of his concerts. We might even hear some of his songs on K-Love. He's that good. Uh, But here's the thing. He's talented, but listen to what he says in the next two verses. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Sorry, that's verse one, which is true. We all, everyone here would agree with that. Listen to this though. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do you know what Asaph is saying there? He's actually confessing to you and to me. And by the way, remember this, this psalm is meant to be sung amongst the whole congregation of Israel. It's not a private diary entry. He's confessing to everyone that there was actually a time in his life when he was ready to turn his back to God. There was a time in his life when things were so tough that he wakes up on Sunday morning and says, I don't feel like going to church anymore. In fact, I don't feel like going to church for a while. It's really, um, it's really honest. And the reason he tells us is this, the reason why is because he says this. He says, I was envious when I saw the shalom of the wicked. That's literally what the text says. He looked at the lives of the unbelievers around him. He saw the ease of life. And if he were to choose one word to describe their life, he actually chose shalom. Their life is peaceful. I want that, God. Why can't I have that? This is what he's confessing to us. Here's the interesting thing. It's the fact that this kind of confession is coming from a guy like Asaph. You might expect it to come from a lay person, not in a person of leadership. This is amazing. 
And so why is this significant? It's because wouldn't someone in his position, someone of his stature, so by the way, he's from the tribe of Levi, it just means his family background, he only has one job, and it's to lead worship in Israel. He knew the Bible. He knew God. He knew all the right answers. But the thing is this, if you were to come up to him um, when he's going through whatever he's going through, and if you were to ask Asaph, Asaph, don't you know, though, um, you don't have to be envious of the wicked because you know, you're rich in Christ. You have Yahweh. He's your God. Don't, don't be envious about him, them. You know what Asaph would say? He would be the first person to say, I know. You ever have a conversation with someone? They're going through something. You go to their house. You call them on the phone and you say, you know, be encouraged. You know, it's okay. Everything's okay. God is caring for you. And then they say, I know that's all true, but I just can't feel it. You ever been like that, through that, got that kind of relationship? Uh, can I just give you an example of how Christians like you and me, we know a lot about God. We know truths about God, but it's never going to sink in until God makes it real to us. And he is in the business of making the truths that we hear about every Sunday real to you. Let me just give you one example. Um, when I was called to ministry, I was actually um, working in an office and um, and I, I felt the calling to go into ministry. And so I asked God in prayer, God, um, if you want me to do this for real, make, can you make it just undeniable? Like make, make sure there's no doubt in my mind that this is what you want me to do. I prayed that and then God answered my prayers. I find out a couple of weeks later that actually my job gives me a phone call letting me know, hey, don't come in on Monday. We're not extending your contract so you don't have to work anymore. Wow, okay, God, that's great. I have an answer. Thank you so much. Um, and so the next step, I, I started applying to seminaries. I applied to Gordon-Conwell. Uh, by the way, this is 2016. I don't know if things have changed. Gordon-Conwell, um, I'm pretty sure everyone gets in, right? It's not hard to get in. Uh, I apply there. It's in Boston, by the way. I'm in Connecticut. It's like a two-hour, two-hour-and-a-half-hour drive. I can go there during the week, come back home, serve at my church. Perfect. I get rejected. So, oh, interesting, God. You don't want me to go there. I applied to RTS. I think Orlando or somewhere else. This is a little bit farther, but God, you know, it's the next best thing. Apply there, same answer. You know, you're rejected. I said, okay, God, I'm really confused now. I thought you wanted me to do this. I applied to Westminster. By the way, I don't want to go there. I hear bad things about it. Good, <laughs> but bad things. And so I apply there and guess what? <laughs> you're accepted. We're going to, yeah, you're accepted. And so I uh, I don't think I understood to that level about how God is in control of my life for my good until that happened. I think that's true for you, isn't it? Aren't there times in your life where you knew something was true until this thing happened to you and then it became real to you? And then you became, and then you started sharing it with the people around you at church and they could see in your testimony that this is not just abstract concepts to this guy, theology, it's real. This is why verse one through three, the fact that we know Asaph, a leader who knows about God is writing this, it tells us something. And it tells us that God is in the business of making himself real to you. He's in the business of making you, allowing you to go through things that you don't want to go through. I don't want to go to Westminster, but he made me go there. And I look back, it's because it was so good for me. And I loved every semester I was there relatively. It's so good. So this is why 
It doesn't become real until God makes it real, and often that happens through experience. So that's verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to keep going. Verses 4 to 12. Asaph, in verses 4 to 12, he's venting. You remember how he said that he, he sees the shalom of the wicked? Now he's describing to you and to me, and by the way, to the whole Israel congregation, um, what he sees. Um, I'm not going to go through every single detail, but I just want to sum it up for you. Asaph basically gives us two themes that he sees in the lives of the wicked from verses 4 to 12. And the, and the first thing he says is this, they're very healthy. They don't really have too many health problems. Um, we don't know what Asaph is going through. We don't know his suffering, but I'm actually willing to bet that because of the fact that Asaph, the first thing out of his mouth, the first thing that he observes about the wicked is actually they're healthy. I think that Asaph wasn't healthy at that time. I think that if we were to go to heaven and ask Asaph, what was Psalm 73 about? You know, he would say, I think he might say, well, I was actually kind of sick or my wife was sick or my children were sick and I couldn't stand seeing the wicked enjoy good health while I'm here worshiping God, leading worship every Sunday, doing everything I'm asked to do while I, I and my family go through this. I think that might be the kind of conversation we have with him in heaven. This is why in verse 4, just an example, Asaph says, they have no pangs. Literally, they don't have any sharp pains. You ever wake up and you have a sharp pain somewhere? They don't have that. Um, their bodies are also fat and sleek. He's not making fun of them. He's just saying they eat well. They're healthy. They go to the gym. They have time to go to the gym. They take care of themselves. The second thing, the second theme, theme that we see in verses 4 to 12 that Asaph tells us is this. The wicked are trouble-free. You ever read through Ecclesiastes? It talks a lot about toil, trouble, you know, working is hard. What's the point of working? Um, Asaph is actually describing the wicked as not really going through that kind of a struggle. You know, they have shalom. They're trouble-free. So he's observing from a distance that these people who don't honor God, they don't love God, they don't worship him, they're living lives of ease. They are living it up. They don't worry about the same kind of problems that you and I worry about. He says, they are not in trouble as others are, and they are not, there's that word in Ecclesiastes, they are not afflicted, afflicted. You know, you and I both know as Christians, affliction is something that is not foreign to the Christian. It's something that's near to them because Christ went through affliction. And he's saying they don't go through that. Well, Asaph sums it up in verse 12. He says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, always shalom, they increase in riches. So right there, we actually know something about the wicked too. They're wealthy. They have a lot of money. But do you hear and feel what Psalm 73 is all about? It's all about this guy named Asaph who's suffering and he sees the prosperity of people who don't even love God. And he's saying in the heart of his heart, this is not fair. This is what Psalm 73 is about. Um, he's also saying this. Uh, if you look further in the Psalm, he's actually just about to give up hope. He's at his wit's ends. But then it says this. It says that he was he goes into the sanctuary of God and then everything changes for him. That's actually the turning point of the psalm when he goes into the sanctuary of God uh, and his perspective is different on life and suffering. Can I just explain what this means to us? You know, 
when you when you guys walk into Cornerstone every Sunday, there is actually something special that happens when you're sitting where you're sitting. What's happening is this. God is reminding you about who he is. And God is reminding you of all of his promises for you. And God is reminding you of all the truths and all the future promises that he has stored up for you. And the reason this is so special is because this is all going against the backdrop of what culture is telling you, what your family members are telling you, even what your own discouraging heart is telling you. Things, uh, you know, woe is me. Things are not going to get better. It all fights against that so that when you come into the sanctuary of God, you experience what Asaph experiences. Asaph experienced, experienced a perspective change. So literally in the text, it says that he goes into the, 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 the sanctuary of God. Some people interpret that as saying, oh, he was just praying. And so, you know, when you pray, your perspective changes because you're talking to God and God is God. Is God. And then you start thinking about everything in God's perspective. But literally, the text is actually saying he goes to church. And that's what helps him in his suffering. He goes to church. He wakes up on Sunday morning. He drags himself out of bed. He throws something on. And even though every inch of his heart is fighting against him, saying, I'm just going to stay in bed. What difference is today going to make? He goes anyways. Um, And when he goes, everything changes for him. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. In Connecticut, before any of this, when I was a pastor, I was just a, uh, not just a member. Members, you were wonderful. But (laughs) when I was a member, (laughs) um, oh man, dangerous, okay. Uh, There was a, I had a friend. She actually lost her younger sister. She was only a senior in high school, car accident, very sudden, came out of nowhere. And I remember um, that devastated her because of the fact that she had been actually evangelizing to her younger sister. Wasn't a Christian. Um, so you could imagine what that was like. But I remember, so I don't remember church services in general. I don't remember what I preached last Sunday, but I remember that service in particular. It was the Sunday after this happened. Because I remember our worship leader, he chose a song called In His Time. Maybe you know it. In His Time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. It's, it's a song about suffering. And I remember he chose that for our congregation to mourn with her, to sing with her that Sunday. And I saw her sitting over there in the back with her husband, and she was singing. She was singing. She was crying, but she was singing her heart out. I think um, I think I remember that, and the reason why is because, you know, um, I want to encourage you guys. When you go through suffering, sometimes it's not only good for you to come to the sanctuary of God to receive God's truth and who he is, his promises. It's actually also good for the people around you. Do you know why? It's because when they see you walking through those doors and they know not every detail, but they know what you're going through and they see you singing in the back, worshiping, they see a living testimony of God's goodness and his comfort for you. So if you're suffering, please come to church. We need to see you there. This is what Asaph does. So we don't know uh, when Asaph went to church, went to the, the congregation thing that day. We don't know what he heard. We don't know what the sermon was about. We don't know what songs they chose to sing that day. But what you and I do know is this. Whatever he heard when he went into the sanctuary of God, he was reminded that God is in control. 
he was reminded also that God is righteous and that God is just. If we read uh, further in the, in the psalm, that's what he's talking about. He says, God, you know, um, I was in the wrong. You know, if you, if you read that part, he actually confesses to God uh, that I was wrong. God, when I went into the sanctuary, um, my perspective changed. And so, Lord, he says, I was, I was like a beast towards you. I was brutish in ignorance. I grumbled and I complained, God, you know, I even threatened to walk away from you. You know that. You know my heart. Do you know what he says after that, though? So he confesses his sin. And then verses 23 and 24, this is amazing. He says this, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You're, you're holding my right hand. You're guiding me with your counsel. And afterward, you're going to receive me in glory. Do you know what Asaph is saying there? He's saying this, God, I deserved for you to walk away from me because I walked away from you. But God, you're with me. You're holding my right hand. You know, in the Bible, right hand, when it talks about God's right hand, it's signifying his power, his might. When Asaph is saying, God, you're holding my right hand. He's saying, God, you're sustaining me. God, this is, so this is, this is a confession of sin. And then this is grace being played out in Asaph's life. Asaph knows he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve God's covenant faithfulness, but he has it. Have you ever experienced that ever in your life? Just a realization that, wow, I was stuck in my ways. God, I was fighting against you for years and years in this sin or that sin. And then there was just a day where it clicked, where God changed your perspective. Maybe it was coming to church, or maybe it was reading an article from Desiring God, or whatever it was. You heard a sermon, but it clicked. Do you remember what happened after that? I would be willing to bet a million bucks that you worship God. Do you know why that happens? It's because when you understand that you don't deserve God's grace, but then you get it, and you're getting it not just in small amounts here and there, but it's overflowing on you. You can't help but worship God for his grace. Um, verses 25 and 26, this is exactly what we see. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you know what this, he's saying? He's saying, God, you are all sufficient for me. God, you are all that I need. Isn't that interesting though? Because just a few moments ago, Asaph had a lot of needs. He was going through a lot of stuff. And frankly speaking, if you read through the rest of the psalm, no mention of any, um, any, any uh, resolution. No mention that his health improved or his financial situation improved or his relationship with his wife improved or children, whatever. Nothing. But what does happen is that he confesses, God, if I have you, I know that everything will be okay. All sufficient. God is all sufficient. So this is what the gospel does. It's what the gospel does. It makes us realize I don't deserve you, God, but God, I have you. And so God, I'm going to worship you with my life. Um, so I, I know, so I'll be the first one to raise my hand in this room. This, what I just described, easier said than done. We hear the gospel every Sunday, but we don't really feel it, right? We don't feel it. We acknowledge it, yes. We sing about it, yes. But if I were to be honest in my own life, 
there are so few times when I really, I really thought, yes, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And the reason why is because in those times, however few they were, those are the times when I realized I was in the wrong. I was in the wrong. One of the ways that you can experience the true power of the gospel, what Asaph experiences, go to the sanctuary of God in your suffering. Go to church or go to your prayer closet or go to your small group. Wherever you know for certain that you're going to hear truths about God, his promises for you against the backdrop of your own discouraging and woeing heart and even the discouraging things from the culture or whoever, go to the sanctuary of God in your suffering. God is going to change you and God is going to, you're, you're going to experience the true power of the gospel in that way. So, um, so to close, uh, if you go to the very end of the psalm, Asaph describes his point, his main point. So exegetical point, you want it, here it is. Uh, he, let me read it for you. He says, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So here's, here's the point of this psalm. Asaph is simply saying that it's good for me to be near God even in my suffering because I know that if I am in you, Lord Yahweh, I'm secure. I have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. And the wicked, they don't have that. They can, they can live it up. They can enjoy life, uh, shalom, all they want. But, but I would rather have you, God, than that. That's the main point. So I just want to encourage you again, uh, saints, if you're suffering, however big, however small it is, go to church. I'm not just saying this as a pastor, but you'll be surprised. I mean, haven't you heard stories of people all around you? Um, they go to church and they just say, man, did you choose that passage because you knew what I was going through, pastor? Or worship leader Edmund, did you choose that song, where, wherever he is? Did you choose that song because you knew that I was going through this? That's Psalm 73 playing out in your life. That's God's care for you playing out in your life. Um, so um, go into the sanctuary of God. Uh, uh, he, uh, uh, but again, all of this, easier said than done, right? So let me close with this very short illustration story. Um, I had a youth group student many years ago. Um, he and his family moved from North Carolina to Pennsylvania, started coming to my church. Uh, and so I would notice, however, that every Sunday, it would be him, his two brothers, his mom, but no father. And so eventually I asked him, where's your dad staying home? And then he told me that his father actually left their family years ago, um, which is part of the reason, actually the reason why they all had to pack up their bags and moved to Pennsylvania to live with his grandmother, grandfather, to make ends meet. It's really hard for a sixth grader to go through that. Um, but here's the good news. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what he told you years after that conversation, but he told me this. He said, um, if those things never happened to me, and if God never allowed me to go through that stuff, then I never would have come to this church and I never would have became a Christian. Just a few weeks ago, he confirmed his faith in front of our whole church on Easter Sunday. He loves God. He's not perfect, but he loves God. 
And his testimony is, if that never happened to me, I never would have came and maybe become a Christian. So I just want to share that story with you as we close. Just remember, uh, God is in control in your suffering. He wants you through this, through this psalm to go to him in your suffering. It doesn't have to be church. It can be your prayer closet. It could be your small group, but go there. Listen to what God has to say to you. God is going to change your life. And ultimately, he's going to make you realize the same thing that Asaph realized. It is good for me to be near God, even in my suffering. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would do the thing that your Holy Spirit only he can do, which is to make your word and your truth sink in and blossom and change lives. Father, we particularly lift up the saints here at Cornerstone who are going through trials and suffering. And we pray and ask that you would give them a particular and special blessing this week of encouragement and of wonderful timely reminders that is good to be near you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.